Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, I'm Gemma Bath, filling in for Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. It's now been a year since Australia first went into lockdown on the heels of the global pandemic. Back then, we were promised that a vaccine would see the end of the virus and the restrictions that come with it. But a lot has changed and countries are experiencing new waves of a virus that continues to mutate. Several countries around the world are now experiencing fresh outbreaks after a long period with little or no transmission. These countries are a cautionary tale for those that are now seeing a downward trend in cases. Progress does not mean victory. Today we take a look at how the world is currently standing with COVID-19, the politics of vaccines, travel bubbles and why our neighbours seem to be suffering more than ever. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. On Tuesday, our Prime Minister Scott Morrison said that the European Union had blocked the importation of 3.1 million doses of the COVID vaccine from entering Australia. Less than 24 hours later, and the EU said that this was definitely not true, that there was one case of Italy stopping the importation of 250,000 doses a while back, but that was the only one on record. There has been no further development since then. So, no, we certainly cannot confirm any new decision to block vaccine exports to Australia or to any other country, for that matter. That's EU Council spokesperson Eric Mamere. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg backed the PM, saying that perhaps they hadn't actually blocked the importation of the vaccine, but they hadn't approved it either, and if they're not approving it, it's the same as effectively blocking it. All we know is that 830,000 doses were delivered back when our rollout first started in late February, but not how many, if any, have been delivered since. But while Australia's rollout of the vaccine has started on shaky ground, there's one place where it's being hailed a success. We're now administering an average of 3 million shots per day, over 20 million shots a week. On Saturday alone, we reported more than 4 million shots were administered. As American President Joe Biden explains, the United States has delivered at least one dose to more than 30% of its entire population. That's 110 million with one dose and 64 million with both. So is the place that was once touted as the worst in the world for the spread of COVID-19 and subsequent death toll doing better now the vaccine has taken hold? And why is their rollout seemingly going so much faster than ours? 
Professor Dominic Dwyer is a clinical professor of medicine, immunology and infectious disease at Westmead Clinical School in the Institute for Clinical Pathology and Medical Research at the University of Sydney. Professor, is the US conducting their vaccine rollout better than us right now? All countries are actually doing it a little bit differently and all countries have different pressures on rolling out vaccines. So, you know, I think Australia has taken the approach that because there's been much, much less disease in Australia than elsewhere, that we can afford to be cautious in what vaccines we choose and how we roll it out and so on. I think other countries like the US have had such terrible troubles with their outbreaks that they've sort of had to push vaccination out really, really rapidly to try and protect their population. Of course, there are problems. Every country's had problems with rolling it out. I mean, I don't think the world has ever vaccinated or wanted to vaccinate everybody within a matter of, you know, six months or a year. Things can always be better, that's true. But I think in general terms, given where we are in the pandemic, I think we're actually doing reasonably well. So who is the worst in the world for the virus at the moment? Late last week, India overtook the US as the country with the second highest daily COVID-19 cases in the world. In the 24 hours up to April 1st, they recorded 81,466 new cases compared to the US with 77,718. Then on Monday, India recorded its largest ever one-day tally with over 103,000 new cases in just 24 hours. Sadly, though, leading the world right now with an uncontrolled wave of COVID-19 is Brazil. Just this week, they surpassed the grim milestone of recording more than 4,000 deaths from the virus in a single day. In total, more than 337,000 people have lost their lives due to COVID in Brazil since the pandemic began, a death toll second only to the United States. Another disturbing factor coming out of Brazil is the emergence of a new mutation that seems to be targeting younger people, whereas the original form of COVID-19 was more deadly to older generations. Professor, what do we know about this mutant strain coming out of Brazil? So there is a particular variant of SARS-CoV-2 that we just happen to be called P1, which is the Brazilian variant. Look, there's a number of variants that have arisen around the world. There's a UK one, a South African one, a Nigerian one, Brazilian one, etc., etc. And you would expect to have variants appear because these viruses mutate anyway, and some of them may be more transmissible or spreadable, if you like, than others. And that's what certainly appeared with some of these variants. They spread more rapidly, and some of them probably cause more severe disease, either in the elderly or perhaps in the young, like in Brazil. So are international vaccine rollouts still the only thing that will truly save us from the pandemic, given that all of these new variants are popping up? It goes hand in hand. I mean, the vaccination is crucial and is really going to be the key to unlocking the kind of world in terms of travel and economy and so on. But it does go hand in hand with, you know, the old-fashioned standard what we call infection control methods, you know, like keeping a distance, like not being in large groups, like, you know, coughing and washing hands and all of those sorts of things. So I think you actually need both. It would be foolish to rely on one to cover the other. I mean, if you add into that things like our border quarantining processes, you know, that's the way Australia can protect itself. But 
if you're talking about the whole world, then you need the vaccination and the infection control practices. The vaccines that are currently on offer here in Australia, would they, for instance, cover us for the Brazilian variant or the South African variant? The vaccines that we have in Australia do cover these variants. I mean, we haven't formally tested them, of course, because we don't have the variants really circulating in Australia, which is good. But I think the data from overseas would be, in general terms, the vaccine will cover these variants. Of course, you know, we don't know if we're going to end up like perhaps we do with influenza, where you have a shot every year because the virus varies a bit every year. Again, we haven't been going along far enough to know that yet. It wouldn't surprise me that we end up in that scenario rather than having a one-off vaccine that's successful forevermore, say like measles or rubella or something like that. With so many Aussie expats now calling it home, we've been closely following what's been happening in the UK during the crisis. And this time last year, we were a little jealous as our borders remained closed while the Northern Hemisphere jetted off for their summer holidays. The result of those holidays was a brutal second wave that sent England back into lockdown for three and a half months. But with the return of warmer weather calling them to the beaches of Spain or a vineyard in France, PM Boris Johnson is still not saying whether they will reopen to quarantine-free international travel on May 17, as previously discussed. But he has decided to start lifting some restrictions from next week. From Monday the 12th of April, we will move to step two of our roadmap. Reopening shops, gyms, zoos, holiday campsites, personal care services like hairdressers, and of course, beer gardens and outdoor hospitality of all kinds. Professor, there's a lot of discussion around about a vaccine passport. The UK government's hoping to bring one in so that those that have been vaccinated, who have recently tested negative or who have natural immunity can travel. Are there any issues, ethical or otherwise, to consider with something like this? We already have some degree of checking of people. For example, when you fly into Australia, you've got to have had a negative test in the 72 hours before you come. There's plenty of countries around the world that are now instituting that. So in a sense, we already have travel documents, if you like, that do show whether you've been tested or not and whether you're negative or not. You know, a vaccine passport showing that you've been vaccinated, I guess, is in addition to that. I mean, we already have requirements for certain vaccines to go to certain countries. So, you know, you may remember the yellow book that has, for example, your yellow fever vaccine. You know, if you want to travel to certain countries in South America, you've got to show that you've had the yellow fever vaccine. So it's not a new concept. The question is how you use it and whether people use it as a way of restricting travel or something like that. So I think that these sort of things are devils in the detail about how they're used, but the principle of having a vaccine to travel is not unreasonable. We already do it. The issue, you know, is that I suspect for the next, you know, year or couple of years, as individuals, we're going to have to make some sort of risk assessment when we travel. So even if you've had the vaccine, you know, you might think, oh, well, look, you know, will I travel to, for example, the USA because there's a really big outbreak going on again, another wave or something like that. Or, you know, say you might prefer your travel or you might say, oh, well, look, there's no problem going to the UK because they've got things under control, you know. So I think we'll end up probably for the next few years having to make a risk assessment based on whether we've had the vaccine and what the scenario is in the country we're wanting to go to. In a positive sign that things on our side of the world, at least, are moving towards a travel bubble reality, 
This week, New Zealand announced they'll be opening their borders to Australia on April 19, after a year of bunkering down. But the rest of the world is still riding second, third and potentially even fourth waves. And as Dominic explains, until you get to vaccinate at least 60 to 70% of the population, the potential for lots of COVID activity in our international community will remain. I think we're actually super lucky in Australia. You know, I think we've managed things really well. It's very helpful being an island and being able to close off international borders and being wealthy enough to, you know, make our own vaccines. So I think we are very lucky. I think the scenarios in different countries are still very, very problematic. And I think one of the real worries is in developing countries. You know, outbreaks in Africa and various countries in Africa, you know, are really problematic and they don't have access to vaccines or testing or ICU beds, all of that sort of stuff. Even in India and Bangladesh and Pakistan, you know, enormous numbers of infections going on. So I think it is still really problematic in many parts of the world. And I'm expecting that this will, you know, continue on through much of 2021. We're just lucky in Australia we've figured out the control. And I think, I would hope, if everyone plays the game, that we'll continue to be managing things pretty well in Australia. Our government's vaccine rollout looks like it won't be meeting the original October 2021 deadline. They're now telling us we should all receive at least one dose by the end of the year. But compared to the rest of the world... Australia is still faring comparatively well in the global fight against COVID-19. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by Siobhan Moran-McFarlane with audio production by Ian Camilleri. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.